0: Welcome to the SCG Church Podcast. We'd love to have you join us for our weekend services in person in our West Auditorium. You can also tune in to our service live online at scgchurch.org or live on our Facebook and YouTube pages. Thanks for listening. So, all right, so here's the deal. Uh, I went to find a throwback sermon and I found one. The problem is I didn't find the notes. It was from way a long time ago before we were on this campus uh, down at Seacoast and, uh, and it was... Um, it was uh, uh, right before we're getting ready to step into a big opportunity. And I, I don't even know if we knew about the opportunity yet. I don't think we did. God was just kind of preparing our hearts. And I found, when I say I found a sermon, I found a cassette tape. <laughs> and I recognized the title. I really liked the title. So I thought I maybe ought to look at this one. Problem is, who has a cassette player? Turns out I actually had one, but it wouldn't play. And I opened it up, and the rubber, that little rubber belt, was completely stretched out. Wouldn't, and something, where am I going to find a cassette player? And I remembered I have this old 1952 pickup truck that somebody redid back in the 70s, and it's got a cassette player in it. So here's me out in the garage in the 52 pickup listening to a cassette of my own sermon. It was weird. It, the whole thing was just, it's <laughs> kind of weird. But there was some good stuff there, so I want to share it with you today and maybe use it as a kind of a, a jumping off place for what we're going to talk about today. Because I think maybe uh, at that time our church was kind of facing, we didn't know it yet, I don't think, um, facing some incredible opportunity God was going to give us. And we feel like we're kind of in that same spot today and we're going to be sharing that with you over the next few weeks. And so I want us to kind of get our hearts and minds prepared for that, not only as a church, but individual. I bet that there's something in your life that God wants you to move beyond either out of, or or in addition to, or some cutting edge of faith that God wants you to step into, and and maybe this will be helpful and encouragement to you, as well as us as a congregation. It's the story of Peter walking on the water. It's one of my favorite stories, because we always think of Peter walking on the water as a complete failure. What a loser. Guess what? That loser did something you've never done. He walked on water. You've never done that. Right? Now, we don't know how far he walked the water. We read the passage. So, here's the passage. Passages. The passage is, um, there's been some tough stuff happening in Jesus' world and sphere of influence. And he's been doing some teaching. He needs some time to go pray. And so, he says to the disciples, get in the boat, head over to the lake, and I'll meet you over there. And so, it's somewhere between 3 and 6 o'clock uh, in the a.m. And, because uh, that was the, 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 I don't know if it's third or fourth watch, depending if you're going to the Hebrews or Romans. I can't remember what it was in this passage. Anyway, it's between 3 and 6. And, um, and they're out there in the boat, fighting the wind to try to get to the other side. And Jesus comes walking on the water. And they think that he's an—the real word is not—we say ghost, but it's not really ghost, it's apparition. It's something that they don't understand what it is. It kind of freaks them out, as it would you as well. And, uh, and so uh, here's what he says when, when they see him. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Why does God start so many sentences with, take courage? don't be afraid. Why is it? Christmas time is full of it, right? Like it said, the angels said, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. Because whenever God calls you out of your comfort zone, it makes us scared. It does. And he's about to call them out of their comfort zone. And and increasingly so in the rest of his life, actually, and in the resurrection. But so, don't be afraid. Um, I, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, this is, I, I love Peter because Peter's just ready, fire, aim all the time. You know, he's just, he, before he thinks he just jumps in literally. And, uh, and I love this guy. He says, Lord, if it's you, uh, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. So, so Peter's not out of God's will. He, he asks Jesus, if it's you, let me walk out there to you. And, and Jesus said, come on. Come on. Now, I don't know why Jesus said, come on. I, I don't, I'm not even sure why this passes in the Bible, but I have a hint. Um, but he does. And just because you're in God's will doesn't it mean it's not gonna be hard. <laughs> doesn't mean you might, might not fall on your face because you might. Uh, so we learned some things here. It says, come. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, I love that phrase. When he saw the wind, how do you see the wind? You don't, right? You don't see the wind. He could have felt the wind. Why is it that way? When he felt the wind. Okay. What he saw probably were waves. Now, this is really important for us to think about. And, and I think this is one of the reasons this is in Scripture. When he saw the wind, he didn't see the wind. He thought he saw the wind. He saw evidence that indicated the wind was there or that a storm was coming probably but he didn't see the wind. Here's one of the things I think we've got to learn is that oftentimes we look at the circumstances around us and we think we know what's happening. We think we see indication of things happening and we jump to what we think is the conclusion, but it may not be the conclusion at all. We may not be seeing what we really thought we saw. Say, that's, that's kind of vague, all right? COVID uh, during COVID, I thought I saw a lot of things, bad things lining up. You know, I felt a lot of opposition, a lot of stuff. And I thought I knew what was going on, but we're going to tell you over the next four weeks, <coughs> what we've realized in retrospect, God was doing. We thought it was this thing, but God was up to this thing. We thought this was gonna be the outcome. We assumed this, there was a foregone conclusion. This would be the outcome. And God is like, no, I have a whole different outcome for you. And so here's Peter looking at the circumstances, uh, believing he knows what the outcome is going to be. By the way, the real issue is not that he was looking at the circumstances, is was, he wasn't looking at Jesus. That's what got him in trouble, all right? It wasn't the difficulty of the thing he was trying to do, it was the difficulty of trying to do it without Jesus, because he got started believing in Jesus, but then he started looking around going, oh, I, I, I can't do this. Right? And, uh, and I think that's a place we're supposed to be. A lot is in a place where we can't do this without God's help. And I think that's a part of learning here. But he saw the wind. He was afraid and began, beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand, caught him, you of little faith. That's why we think it was a failure. And, and it was a learning opportunity, certainly, for Peter. Um, it, it, but sometimes we step out in faith, and, and it doesn't work out the way we want it to. Uh, usually, it's our fault. And God says, I got you anyway. It's okay, I got you. It wasn't, I think it was a learning opportunity. I think there was probably a day where, uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe, Maybe one day he was able to sit down with, with some other disciples later on and go, you know, I walked on water. And the other disciple yeah, you almost drowned. Yeah, but I walked on water. Um, I kind of like that. You have little faith, he said. Uh, why did you doubt? By the way, that's a great question. If you don't learn anything else today, that question right there is one to take home with. Why did you doubt? Why do I doubt? Why is doubt such a problem? It is all the time. At all points in our journey, doubt is our enemy. Why do, not that we shouldn't look at issues and try to understand them, but doubt robs us from being and doing what God has called us to. He says, uh, uh, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Uh, then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly you are the Son of God. So i want to give you some, some thoughts here um, about getting out of the boat and what it requires. It requires, first of all, imagination and holy ambition. Imagination. I read this quote recently. See what you think. Uh, it said that imagination is required to apply revelation. Imagination is required to apply revelation. What does that mean? So let's say you come to believe that Scripture is true and that Jesus blessed who he said he was, and that he came to die so that we could be forgiven, reconciled to God. Uh, and so you, you realize that. So then there has to be an application. All right, so that happened. So how do I apply? Well, I imagine if I gave my life to Jesus and I was forgiven for all I ever done wrong and I could trust him with, e- with eternity, that would be a good way to apply revelation, right? The revelation is just what Jesus did. The application is, oh yeah, I, I need that. But further beyond that, once I come to the faith, where I, a place where I want to put my faith in Jesus, and then I use my imagination to begin to imagine what does a husband who is a Christ follower look like? What does that, what is that revelation of God's unconditional love that I re- it was revealed in Jesus, what does that look like when applied to my marriage? And I begin to imagine how would Jesus have me, what would Jesus do? You know, the wrist thing that the, the wristband that he's had. What would Jesus do? Or as a father, how does my imagination apply the revelation of Jesus' truth into being a better father, a better friend, whatever? I think that so God is God is incredibly creative. If you doubt that, look around. You also has a sense of humor. Look around. Um, God is incredibly creative. And I think that when we come to a relationship with our creator, we become more creative. And I'm not saying you're like an artist, or you're going to be able to draw or something. But when we, when we think about loving our spouses or loving our children or loving our world, I think that as Christians, we have the ability to be more imaginative, creative in the way that we not only love each other, solve problems, approach issues. Because we cannot be ego involved in this thing. We can just look at it and say, how do we solve this? Because I'm a child of God. I remember I'm a child of God. And that's the most important thing about me. And you can't take that away. So let's try to figure this thing out together. And my imagination is released uh, free of ego to go. Does that make sense? Three people over here said yes. That's good. I got three people in here. Um, This summer I was uh, exposed to some new some new ministry models, kinds of things—not not completely unheard of—but uh, applied, <coughs> excuse me, in fresh ways, and, and 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 it began to kind of trigger uh, my imagination a little bit about maybe maybe we could do some things like this. And then I went to the same the same ministry, but with a different group of people later in the summer. And then there were some guys came alongside of me and said, and they began to kind of encourage me in my imaginings. Uh, and, then, and then they began to uh, kind of goad me a little bit. You know, the Hebrew says that we're to spur one another on toward good deeds, toward love and good deeds. And they were kind of spurring me on a little bit. Trying, come on, think about this. God's, and, and it was kind of like, you know, God's give you some gifts and abilities and some influence and, and you're still breathing. Why? It's one of those kind of conversations. Why? Why is God so here? What, what unique thing is God calling you to do? And they were just kind of encouraging me and pushing me a little bit. And I just it was really good because there is this thing in, it, in this, I don't know who coined the phrase, but a book was written called Holy Ambition by Chip Ingram. And um, I, they were trying to reignite in me or a new... Holy ambition. So we tend to think of ambition as a bad thing. Like, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to conquer the world. Maybe you think it's bad, maybe it's good. I don't know. But this is not about you. This is about the kingdom. Holy ambition is about... So let's say, for example, um, I say, I want to do something really great for my wife for Christmas. Just really great. By the way, if you have any ideas, she's not in the room. So, um, so I want to... And you would think, well, nothing, that's good. Good for you. That's being a good husband. Well, what about as a Christian? I, wanna, I say, I want to do something great for God. See, we've all seen people who do that for selfish reasons, but what if I purely just want to respond to God's goodness to me by doing something great? Have a holy ambition. Paul wanted to go preach in Europe. That was a holy ambition. It wasn't for his own gain. It was for kingdom gain, right? And so, holy ambition is me allowing God to bring the revelation of who Jesus is to, through my imagination, to dream of what Incredible things could happen in the kingdom if God would use me, not for my glory, but for his and for the benefit of others for eternity. What kind of dream could I have about that? And so, first of all, get out of the boat. You've got to have, a, you gotta have a, some imagination. you got to have some holy ambition. So, let me give you some thoughts about three ways to, to walk on water. And uh, the first one is to trust God for greater things. Trust God for greater things. Well, that's, that's kind of just what I just described, isn't it? Ephesians 320. By the way, I got this one of I have a friend who's a pastor who sends out encouragements to pastors, and this was the passage he sent today, but I wrote this sermon twenty years ago and he sent this out today. Coincidence. Uh, so here it is. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. So God could do more. So the reminder is God could do more. But the, the the implication is that we should be asking and imagining right? So, so what if, uh, sort of we kind of, kind of think about that. So one of the questions that, that accountability groups used to ask some I don't know if we do this anymore, but they used to ask, how's your spiritual life? Somebody said, how's your spiritual life? And I don't know how you'd respond to that. I, I, I tend to go, well, I got five days in a row doing prayer and not missing one, so good for me. You know, <laughs> I'm winning, uh, right? But what if, what if the indication of your spiritual life was, what incredible things are you imagining and asking God for, for the kingdom? What if that were right so so on, on, a, on a personal level it might be it might be um, i have this person i'm praying for and they're really struggling they don't know, don't know jesus and i am believing and asking that god would bring them into a relationship with himself for their eternal benefit what if what if something like that what if what if there is some local injustice that you see some societal issue that just tweaks you you just you just this needs to be fixed. What if that is the thing you're praying? Lord, give me insights how I can be a part of the solution in this problem in my community to your glory and for their benefit. See, what if that were, because if, if that were the, the measurement for our spiritual uh, um, life and how we're, our spiritual condition, I, I wouldn't ask you out loud right now to say that because the chances are you may not have something right there on the cutting edge of faith that's beyond your ability to pull it off. See, because we want to live within our own abilities. We want to live within something I can manage, I can take care of, but that's not faith. Faith is when we get on the edge of faith and we're trying to address some issue that we can't fix. It might be our own addiction. It might be our own thought processes. It might be a societal issue that God's going to have to intervene, but we're making ourselves available. God, let me be on the front edge of this thing. Let me be a part of the solution here. I think we're supposed to live with that thing in front of us at all times. And if you don't have that thing, maybe you need to ask God, God, what is it that you left me on this earth breathing for? Because if he just wanted you to be his friend, he could take you home and be his friend forever. You'd be in heaven, but you're not. You're here for a reason, for a purpose. So trust God for greater things. He can do more than we could ask or imagine. What are you imagining for these days? And then kind of under that heading, some things that trip us up is don't confuse fear and humility. Well, I'm nobody. I can't do anything big. Those are big issues. I can't do anything. No, you're just chicken. No, I, I, I say it to myself all the time. I shrink back from something I feel like we could do. And, and, and it's just like, no, Doyle, that's, you're not being humble. You're being a weenie. Just step up and let's do this thing, right? So here's what, here's what 2 Timothy says. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. See, mostly we're limited by our impact in the world, not by God's uh, lack of activity or uh, inactivity in in our lives. It's our lack of asking, our lack of stepping forward into something. Um, I think we're more often... Uh, guilty of asking for too little, not too much of God. Because remember, we're asking not for for something ego-driven, but for something kingdom-oriented. So I had a funny story. I was not long ago in another city, another state, driving with a pastor, and he we drive by a hospital, and there's a wing in the hospital. It's so-and-so. It's a person's name, Wing. Uh, I didn't say wing. I said um, center for, I don't know what it's some medical deal and he says, I hate that sign, I said, why well, you hate that sign, he says, because that guy, he names the guy on the sign, he goes, he goes to our church, I said, oh, that's cool, he said, well, yeah, but it's a terrible reminder, that sign, I said, what do you mean, he says, well, we were in a building campaign, several million dollars a few years ago, and that guy took me to lunch, and said, okay, I got my checkbook, what do you want, how much do you need, he said, it was millions, he said, in that moment, I thought, I don't ask her too much, I don't want, but I don't ask her, he said, a million dollars, guy wrote him a check, I said, well, that's great. What's probably, he goes, well, that afternoon he went down to the hospital. He asked them the same question, and they said, five million. And now there's a wing named after him. (laughs) He said the lesson was don't ask for too little. He said, that guy could always tell me no. I asked for too little. And the implication here is that we ask for too little from God, not too much. We ask for too little. You see, there's nothing too great for God. There's nothing too difficult for God. There's nothing too outrageous for God. If we seek His heart and we want His will and we ask for kingdom things, then we're never asking for too much. We can't determine the outcome and we can't predetermine if it's going to happen or not happen. God will answer one way or the other, but why not ask for all that God has for you in terms of influence in the kingdom? So, don't confuse fear and and humility. Don't confuse laziness and contentment. Um, one of the things that I think we struggle with is that we, we think that contentment is I'm okay where I am. I'll just stay right here. But that's not what contentment is. Contentment is being at peace today while I work toward what is supposed to be tomorrow. I work toward what God wants for tomorrow, what God wants for his kingdom, for my life, for my family. Contentment is being okay where I am, but I'm not staying here. So one of the things we're finding in scripture is that in the early church, some people remember Jesus saying he was coming back. And so they quit their job and just hang around waiting and the instruction to them was to, in the King James, occupy until I come. In, in other words, work until Jesus comes. Keep moving. There's still, if you're As long as you're breathing, there's, a, there's something for you to be doing. There's still a place for you to go forward and to do be of kingdom benefit. Here's what uh, Paul says in Philippians. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Pressing on. Pressing on. I recently... Um, uh, was reminded of some studies I did uh, at seminary many years ago and, uh, and reintroduced some of the material from a professor there. And his son is now teaching some of the um, subject matter. And the entire goal of this professor is to spend his entire life uh, studying and accumulating data that would help Christians to finish well. Because his data indicates that very few Christians finish well and he defines finishing well, and I won't take time to share all of them with you, but they center around this this thought, that the last quarter of your life should be the most productive part of your life spiritually, because you've acquired knowledge, wisdom, you've acquired experience, you know what your passions are, you have the authority to speak, and so the last part of your life should be the most impactful spiritually and personally for people, and if you don't know, so the big phrase that was talked about at this event I was at is next. So, so a lot of people retire and they think they're done. But according to this guy, you retire, you're just old enough to have enough wisdom to share it. And so you might change jobs, you might not get paid for whatever it is, but that is your point where you kick in and you should finish well by influencing others the rest of your life. Paul, even as he's in prison, isn't giving up. He's still writing letters. He's still influencing. He had his greatest influence, arguably, while he's in prison. The reality is, is that we can't back down uh, when, when, uh, when we want to just kind of... No, God is always calling you forward. No matter where you are on your spiritual journey. You may be a brand new Christian. You might have been in, in, in this journey for a very long time. But there's always going to be that cutting edge of faith. That cutting edge of faith, where you know that if you go where you're supposed to go in that next step, you're going to be trusting God. I remember visiting a a pastor, uh, uh, and um, he was 85 and he was dying of cancer. And he was upset because he knew his days were very numbered, but he had one more sermon he needed to give. He'd been working on a new sermon, and God had been speaking to him, and he just couldn't wait. So tell me the sermon. I'll preach that sermon. But I just love the fact that he's at the end of the journey. He hasn't quit. He's still thinking about, and his next step of faith was to think this through. And if he didn't get to share with anybody else, he got to share with me. And maybe I was the one he was, I was supposed to hear it. Because there's always that next step, that cutting edge of faith that God calls us to. As long as you're breathing, he's not done with you. So um, then the, the next one under that is don't confuse small mindedness and spirituality. Uh, just, just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you need to be some shrinking violet. God has called us to be bold for the things that matter, to step up for the things that matter. James 4, 2, you do not have because you do not ask God. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. Who is more spiritual, Peter or the guys in the boat? Peter comes off looking goofy because he almost drowned. But I want to I suggest to you he had more faith. The guys in the boat were just playing it, playing it comfortable. They're just playing, we'll stay in here. where it's safe. Peter, he went out there. Yeah, he he went down, but Jesus saved him. The reality is, is that I think God's calling us forward all of the time and to believe for bigger things and greater things. So trust God for greater things. Secondly, trust God for greater faith. Trust God for greater faith. One of the things, well, I don't have the faith for that. Well, the good news is you don't have to have the faith for that. God will give you the faith. Faith comes from God. It comes from hearing his word. It comes from seeking God. So there's this passage in Mark. Guys, as a, as a kid, kids got some serious issues. Um, they don't know if they can fix it, whatever. And Jesus says, I, I, if you believe, and this guy says this, I love this line because it saved my bacon on a whole lot of occasions. The boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. There's this weird kind of thing where I I believe, I'm choosing, I want to believe. I see your word, I believe you are who you are. I'm just having trouble getting it from here to here. I'm getting, you know, getting it from here to here. I'm I'm having, Lord, help me have the faith to, to, to live out what I've chosen. Help me have that faith. When it comes to these kinds of issues, um, there are lots of ways to respond. We, when we begin to realize that God is calling us out to a faith edge, to, to a next step kind of edge, we can do all kinds of things. And there's kinds of ways that people respond. One, one of the ways people would respond are they're the excusers, the excusers, like like Gideon. Oh God, I can't do great things for you. I'm just a little big guy from a little bitty clan, and I don't amount to much. Whatever. Most of the great people that God used in Scripture were were like that. Moses stuttered. There's all kinds of reasons they could have done something great for God. And yet, when we stop making excuses and start stepping into what God wants for us, God can use us. Um, For me, personally, it's an interesting thing here. And I found this just uh, in my own life that it kind of sneaks up on you. Because I don't think I'm a whiner, although I have been known to whine and pout and self-pity. But other than that, I'm good. Um, But there is this time in my prayer where I confess the truth about me. And the truth about me is I'm a sinner saved by grace, but I'm still a sinner. I still mess up, and I have to acknowledge that to God. But you know one of the things that <coughs> I realize that I've got to get I've got to give proportionate time to confession. I dare not skip confession because I don't want to shine on myself or act like I'm shining on God about the truth about me. The truth is I'm a hot mess a good chunk of the time. And I'm so grateful that God is patient with me and forgives me. But that's not where I live. I throw that confession out there. I'm sincere about it. I ask for God to forgive me and to move me forward. And then I move over here to where I remember I am a child by God, a child of God. I am created in his image, and he has me on the, this earth for a purpose. If I live over here, I'll never be more than a whiner. But if I move through confession, acknowledging the truth about me, to get over here to remember that Christ died for me. He loves me that much, and he has me here still for a reason. Evidently, he believes there was something in me that he could use to benefit the world, or he wouldn't have called me to faith or to ministry. And so, I want to live in this space, not this space. I go through this space to get over here. Otherwise, I just end up going, well, I'm just a poor sinner, and I can't do anything. I'm a poor sinner, and I can't do much. But over here with God in Christ, I can do a lot of things for the kingdom. And we need to live in that victorious kind of living, not in defeatism of I am a bad person or bad things happen to me, the victimhood of bad things happening. to me. They did. Submit them to God. Let Him bring healing. Get some help if you need to, therapy, whatever. But you don't want to live there. You want to move through to where you're a child of God, loved by God, put on this earth for a reason, living out that purpose every day. Now, that was good stuff. I don't know if you caught it or not, but that was really good stuff. No, 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 no. If you didn't catch it, no, no. <laughs> excusers and then they're accusers you ever met somebody where everything that bad happens is somebody else's fault right at some point um, God comes down to the garden of Eden and Adam and Eve have eaten of the, the tree of the knowledge the fruit of the tree of the knowledge good and evil and and they hide behind a, a hedge great God's not going to see you there and um And said, well, we hid because we're naked. And God says, who told you you're naked? And then um, Adam, being the man of the house, stood up and said, it's her fault. (laughs) Literally, what he said was, the woman, the woman you put here. So if if God's not going to buy the thing that it's the woman's fault, then it's your fault because you put her here. He didn't say, yeah, I blew it. I, I messed it. He didn't, he, by the way, for you women giggling right now, the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. You see, it's just intuitive within all of us to want to blame somebody. But at some point, we got to get past the, the blamer thing and just own our stuff and, and recognize our weakness and say, yeah. So here it is. Excusers, accusers, and choosers. Um, I love Joshua. And I love, if, if for other reason, and for lots of reasons, but if for another reason, this comment that he makes in Joshua 24, uh, he talks about this. Choose you, so choose you for yourselves, or choose you this day whom you will serve. And then down at the bottom, he says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my house. At some point, we've got to come to a place if we're ever going to get into that, that living in faith zone, out on the cutting edge of growing and becoming, we're going to have to just say, yep, this is the truth about me, It's the truth about my situation, but as for me, I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm not going to live in my victimhood or my stupidity or my sinfulness. I am going to move forward with God. I am going to serve the Lord. As for me, in my house. We will serve the Lord. When we come to that place, we open, I believe you open the door up for God to use us, to move us forward personally, and to benefit others when we'll finally come to that place. And so we need to trust God for greater faith by choosing to serve the Lord. I had a guy a number of years ago, he said to me, he said, uh, Yeah, I pray every day. I was Oh, good for you. He goes, Yeah, I never pray for myself, though. And I, and I said, You're an idiot. I had a pastoral gift of comforting people and making them feel better about themselves. See, so you're dumb. What are you talking about? It would be selfish to pray for myself. So you just want to live with all those struggles you've been dealing with? So you don't want God's help? Do you think you got this one? What it is is egotistical. The truth is, I need God's help every day. You need God's help every day. I love praying for those other folks too, but I'm not going to not pray for me. There's an old, old song. I bet nobody in this room knows it, but it's, uh, it's not my brother. It's not my sister, but it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. And every day got to recognize, I need prayer. Lord, I need your help. I need your help today. I need you, to, to, I need you to, to bless me, which is to just supernatural intervene in my life, to change my mindset, to change my attitude, to show me a better way to relate, to have, give me the faith and the courage to step into that faith thing you're putting in front of me. I need your help every day. So trust God enough to Pray. That's where the prayer thing comes in. Trust God for greater faith and for greater things, and trust God enough to pray. One of the things that was on the little cassette tape out in my old truck in the garage was a story I told about my son. And uh, he had gotten sick. He was about three years old. And, uh, and he had gotten sick. And um, we had uh, gone through several days and wouldn't get better. So we were trying to take him to the doctor. Doctor's a little confused. Try this, try this. And on the way home, three years old, said, Hey, dad, is it time to pray yet? I've never liked that kid his sister is wonderful. That kid is a smart aleck from the beginning. And, it was, and he was right. What, what are we thinking? We, we should have prayed first. Why was it on the way home from the doctor? He had to remind us, yeah, we could pray, you know. Oh, yeah, I forgot that part. See, we trust God enough to actually just say, this is the truth. We pray. We pray for several things. We pray for power. Pray for power. We need God's power to operate in us. If we're going to make an impact in our world, if we're going to live Christian lives, we need God's power at work. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Acts 1.8. We can pray for power in several different ways. One is pray for a pure heart and pure motives. Pray in God's will. So first of all, I want to pray that that what I'm praying for, you know, asking God for another, uh, you know, Hummer in the garage. I'm not sure God's that impressed with that prayer. You know, it's like, yeah, you got a Hummer, good for you, but I'm not sure that's, that's not what you... But when I pray, and I pray, God, expand your kingdom. God, touch people who are hopeless right now. God, help, let me be a part of somebody's eternal destination being changed. And we not only pray with a pure heart, we begin to pray with, with, um, in God's will. I've prayed prayers that I thought were right on the money, but I have I, learned to pray, but God, this is my heart, God, and this is what I'm asking you for, but your will be done. Because I've seen later that some of those prayers that God said no would have been disasters if God had said yes. And so when I pray, you'll get an answer. It might be no, but that's okay. I'm praying in God's will. And if what I'm praying, Lord, isn't according to your will, please don't do it. <laughs> but Lord, I think this is what is supposed to happen. This is what the desires of my heart are. So I pray, pray with a pure heart. I pray with, with God's will, I'm praying for God's will. Um, and, and then pray uh, for God's outcomes. Almost always in my life, God answers, but it's, it's almost never uh, comes from where I think it's going to come from. I always think here's the solution and God brings it in from back here just so I can't take any credit at all. You know, it just comes flying in. It's like, oh, I didn't even, wow, that was, so I'll know it's a God thing. Um, Pray for power, pray for presence, pray for God's presence. Um, I have to admit something really funny to you. I just looked down at the clock and I thought we were over at uh, noon. We're already over, aren't we? I'm not used to this three services thing again. I've only got 45 minutes more to go. <laughs> pray, for, pray for power. Pray for presence. Just having God with you. And he's promised his Holy Spirit. Just having God with you is often enough to help us have the courage to go forward. And then pray with expectancy. Pray. Not, not expectations. And it, there, there's a, a distinction with, without a difference without a distinction there. They both mean the same thing. But when it comes to my mind, I think about false expectations. I pray knowing that God will do something. I can't predetermine how he'll do it or what he will do, but I pray knowing that God will do something. So let me, let me, uh, let me just give you this final thought. Today, maybe you have identified that you're supposed to get out of a boat, a place, a place where you are. And, uh, and I just want to ask you what it is. Do you need to get out of a mindset, out of a mentality, out of a, a place of hopelessness, out of a place of fear, out of a place of stagnation? maybe an addiction, maybe you've gotten yourself in a ditch and you can't get out, maybe a place of hiding or brokenness or even spiritual barrenness, lethargy of misunderstanding or faithlessness, if you, something came to your mind today, some place in your journey, some part of your life there, you are stuck. I'd like you to have the courage today to ask God to help you get out of the boat. And if you will do that, I believe God will answer that. And you will forward, move forward in, in faith and to places you never thought you could go. Peter said, if it's you, Lord, tell me to come to you. And Jesus said, come. Today, he says the same to you. He says, come. If you stay in the boat, it's your own fault. If you stay stuck, it's your own fault. He is here. He's available. He wants to help you take that step. And so let's pray that we'll have the courage to do that. Lord God, we love you. We thank you. You are so good to us. I'm so grateful that you have called us to not just uh, what is the same old, and what may be a place that's holding us back. But you have called us always forward, trusting you more, knowing you better, experiencing your love in deeper ways, and impacting our world in greater ways. And so, Lord God, today, help us get out of the boat. Help us trust you for more as a congregation and individuals. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. Um, Please uh, stick around. Go hang out out there watching watch the kids playing the pumpkins and, and get some food. God bless you guys. We hope you enjoyed this message. And remember, we have live services on Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings in our West Auditorium. Or you can watch live online at scgchurch.org or on our YouTube and Facebook.